It's always a little funny to me when you see people complain about NBA players who get along after the game. You know what I'm talking about when you see two guys compete for 48 minutes and then they laugh and hug and make small talk after the buzzer. There are fans who get infuriated by this. who think you can't possibly be competitive enough if you're that friendly off the court. That doesn't ring true to me, and I think there's a pretty natural reason why. Most of us who do the job I do are highly competitive about it. We want to tell the best stories on a beat. We want to write things that make our competitors wish they had written them. And at the same time, when you cover a team, you often become pretty close with the other people who do it. You're around each other a lot, and not just at news conferences or on press row. Covering the NBA involves a lot of waiting, waiting in the media room for a game to start, waiting at a gate for a flight, and so much waiting for interviews at the end of practices. You spend all this time killing time around people whose backgrounds are at least a little similar to yours. You went to journalism school. You have an interest in sports. Friendships are inevitable, and in many cases, really close ones develop. But liking someone doesn't mean they don't infuriate you when they beat you at something, when they write a story you wish you had written. And few people I've shared a beat with have infuriated me more than Fred Katz, who routinely wrote terrific stories when he covered the Thunder at the Norman Transcript, and I was at the Oklahoma. Fred and I went on to work together at The Athletic, where he still works, covering the New York Knicks. But he stayed very connected to the Thunder, and I never get tired of talking basketball with him. This week felt like perfect timing to bring him in for a chat about the Tuesday's arena vote that secures the long-term future of the franchise in Oklahoma City, and to talk about Shea Gilgis-Alexander and just how legitimate his MVP candidacy is. Today, we're talking about that and more with Fred Katz of The Athletic. I'm Brett Dawson, and this is Heard Thundering. Before we get started, I want to thank the sponsors who support our show, MidFirst Bank, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, and your local Ford dealers. Drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full line of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. And so let's bring in Fred Katz, who, Fred, it's good to see you. We can see each other. And uh, I feel like I talk to you every day. I really don't. I talk to you like every month, maybe. But because of the group thread that we're in, I do feel like we talk like daily, like hourly. In in a 2023 sense, we talk every day. Yeah, correct. We're yeah. we're on it's... an extremely active group thread, uh, which I don't know how many texts get sent to that thread every day. I don't think I want to know, honestly. Like, I think the number would probably depress me. At least people, many... on, on a bad day, on a slow day, <laughs> like a really slow day. When and 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 the names that I'm going to say who are on the thread are probably familiar to anybody who would listen to this podcast, but it's you, me, Royce Young, Andrew Schlecht, and John Hamm. And unfortunately, not the actor, John Hamm. And it's, it's really I, would say, I would say on a slow day, there are 50 texts. Yeah, that's probably When we probably just have right. nothing to talk about. Yeah. So, And lately, it's been much more than that um, because we've had an arena vote to talk about, which now we, do, I don't know what we're going to talk about now. We'll probably find something. Um, we'll find something. We'll find something ridiculous and stupid to talk about, but that arena vote is out of the way. And I know like you're up in New York city, but because of the thread and because you've covered the thunder, I know you're at least aware of what was happening. You're aware of the plan. Um, and you're aware of sort of the bottom line of this, which is one, the city's paying a whole lot of money for an arena, but two, this is going to trigger a lease. that's going to keep the thunder here for 25 years once the building is built. Um, and so that's a long time. We're looking at more than 25 years. We're looking at beyond the year 2050 uh, where the thunder is in Oklahoma City. And that, that's significant. Yeah, and it sounds like from what 
Mayor Holt was saying earlier that the arena wouldn't even the goal would be to get the arena up by 2029, right? Yeah. So we're talking about 25 years from then is right. the way that I interpreted it, right? So I mean we're we're really talking way out into the future. Um yeah, I mean quite honestly, I really really wanted Bryce Young to be forced to move back like to like Seattle. <laughs> I I thought that would just be a fantastic saga and something I I was really looking forward to following, but obviously it's it it passed by by a good amount, right? And it's uh yeah. you know, look, I lived in Oklahoma City for a few years and I covered that team for a while. I still think I know that team really well. I know a lot of people with that team. I know a lot of people who live in that city. That is obviously a beloved team locally. I, I, I was not surprised by the final results of that at all. Yeah. I think you were here um, in, a, in a pretty good time. You were here for, for one of the best Thunder teams, um, the, the last Kevin Durant team. And then here when, you know, I, I've actually talked a lot about those Westbrook, Paul George uh, teams uh, lately because I think that was when people, in a way, fell a little bit out of love with the team. That team was, um, you know, I was writing about this week, looking at the numbers, just comparing this team, this this particular team this year is ten and one against teams with losing records. Those teams kind of had like one one of those teams went twenty three and seventeen against sub five hundred teams. Um, they were a team that didn't necessarily, they're not a team about which you would have said, boy, those guys just bring it every night. You know, they're really every single night they're, they're just bringing it to you. Um, but you saw this at, at a, at a really high time too. um, that team making the run to the 2016 conference finals. Um, you know what the, what the team means to the people here. Um, and, and while I, you can argue a lot and people have and will about whether this is a good deal for the city financially. The city's paying a ton of money, uh, at least $850 million. Um, but I do think there is something not unique, but special about the way this place and that team connect. I think that's definitely true. I also think what comes into it is people talk all the time about getting a new arena and there are constant debates about how much that actually helps the surrounding area, how much business that brings to the surrounding area, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes it works. Sometimes you put, for example, I lived in DC. I lived four blocks from Nats Park where the Nationals play. And the area that was around there was not nearly the same thing 15 years ago, 20 years ago before the Nats started building that up. And that really did change the economics of the area around that ballpark. And now it's this this, this completely different place. And it really did work. There are other instances, let's stay on DC, for example, where the Wizards <laughs> play in downtown DC. And now apparently they're moving to Virginia because they can't get what they want in downtown DC. And that area is has, has kind of deteriorated. Uh, and, and we see it not work all the time. I think what's interesting and more particular to Oklahoma City is that it's not just about the surrounding area around the arena. It's not just about Bricktown. It's not just about, oh, there's an Omni now. It's the only pro team in the state. And having the, a pro team in the state does change people coming into the state. It does change people coming into the state for business. It does change hospitality and all of that. It's different than a place where there are two or three other professional teams and one of those teams leaving. It does change industry in a state. It does change 
um, the economics of of not just the surrounding neighborhood, but also farther out than that. And and I think that's that's a part of it too, in a way that it should be contextualized. That's a little bit different than some other arena votes. And generally, I'm very skeptical about public funding for arenas. I I, I skew skeptical in that sense, especially when it means. Royce Young having to move somewhere else because I would just watch a reality series of Royce Young like eating ketchup from all different states and and having to learn what it's like not to live in Oklahoma. But unfortunately, it sounds like Royce is going to be staying there. Yeah, that that's a real bummer for you. I that uh I don't know that we would have gotten that reality show, but I too would have watched it. And it, especially like I can't think of a like a like a super weird place. Seattle actually, I think Royce would fit right in in Seattle. I think he'd do great, um, you know. But like, if they moved to L.A., that would really be yeah. Something. Like I would, Vegas. I would watch it. I would watch. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the Youngs go to Vegas. I would. I the would Youngs go to minute. Vegas it would be fantastic. I I don't think that show would have really high ratings, <laughs> but I think it would be critically acclaimed. Royce Vegas, I think we could call it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. I could bore people to death and have a little bit with like talk about um, agglomeration, which is a concept I learned about from economists as I was writing about the arena deal. Where you know, part of the reason that cities became cities is that you know, industry wanted to connect to each other, wanted to be closer to each other. And I had a city economist tell me that now the new agglomeration is that people want to live in places where there are amenities. And so, you know, economists will tell you. This is a really bad deal for the city. It's bad for the people who pay sales tax. They're going to spend way more money on this arena than they'll ever sort of directly see back. And other economists will kind of push back and say, the thing is that if you want people to come to your city and you want people to stay in your city, you need some of these amenities. And this Thunder vote was less about building a new arena. It's about building a new arena, believe me, for Clay Bennett and the Thunder. It's about getting a brand new building. For the city, it's really about keeping the team and keeping all the things that come with the team because... If they didn't build an arena, you know, eventually these guys that that bought this this franchise for six hundred and twenty five million or whatever are going to sell it for three and a half billion or whatever the number ends up being um, in that day and age, whenever whenever that happens. And and you know, if you do that, if you get sold, um, there's no real reason to stay here. As people have said many many times, it's a miracle that they have a team. Um, and that's not a knock on the city that I have chosen now for the second time to live in. It's a fact of life that you know that's the cost of doing business in the NBA, and you're in a market where um, you know you can get a better deal from a Seattle or a Vegas or someplace like that if they uh, if somebody wants to buy the team. And so this was a vote about keeping the team. The Thunder never made a direct threat. They kind of let the mayor do that for them, um, which is a good position to be in as a team. You never have to actually come out and say, "Hey, if this doesn't happen, we're going to leave." Somebody else has it for you, but I do think keeping the team is is crucial to the de- the continued development of the city. I know some people would push back against that and say, you know, the money that gets spent on a team would get spent somewhere else. But you know, the the pro arena vote did a really good job of getting their message out. And one of the things, Fred, this might amaze you. It ama- this flat out amazed me. There are twenty downtown hotels in Oklahoma City. Do you know how many there were before the Thunder came here? Oh man, so like. Well, define downtown. I, like, is I don't 21, know. Like, is twenty one C downtown? I yeah, I, yes, that's downtown for sure. I think the question okay. would be more like, are the is like the hotel in Midtown? Would that have counted? I don't know. like Ambassador. Like, is the Ambassador right. downtown? Right. Okay. Let's let's see. I think that courtyard has been there since before the land <laughs> rush. Yeah. So I'm going <laughs> to guess the courtyard was there. Yeah. 
I'm 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 also gonna guess that Renaissance was there too. And I'm gonna guess the coal cord was there. Uh and then maybe there's I'm gonna say there were four. I'm gonna okay. say there there was one extra. I don't have the data to say what the hotels were, but the number is two. There were two oh, wow. before the thunder. Ha- two wow. downtown hotels. Had had to be that courtyard. That courtyard <laughs> yeah. that that courtyard was was constructed before the, the, the land was even settled. It was there was <laughs> there was nothing. It was tumbleweeds and a courtyard. Somehow it was staying in business. No one was staying there. There weren't even people yet. There were <laughs> there were just dinosaurs walking around, being like, "Who built this courtyard <laughs> seventy million years ago?" Uh, it's like that the, courtyard the- had to be there. I bet you the it was T-Rex the T-Rex couldn't get a couldn't get a Pepsi out of the out of the little shop in the lobby because his arms he were could, too short. He was really struggling with the mini fridge. <laughs> he was really he kept bending over and he couldn't, couldn't get his arm in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that. That I I have actually I have once yeah. uh, been that's, in that. That's courtyard. Desmond Bain's problem right now. You Is know? that where you stay now? Do you stay in the courtyard when you come back? I never stay in the courtyard because it's yeah. too close to the arena. It oh, is it close. is it is literally like adjacent to the arena and it's too close to the arena. And I'm just like I need space. So I'll stay at like yeah. the Sheridan that's right there or yeah. or 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 maybe that Renaissance I've stayed in. Uh, but I, or the Ambassador I'll stay in if if it if the price comes down a little bit cuz the Ambassador is a really nice hotel. I've stayed in 21C what, too. This is what the people come for. Absolutely. This, this is what they, they want to know, like where people stay when they come to town. There's a new like uh, Fairfield or Spring Hill or something downtown now, like right on the other side of the Omni. So yeah, maybe that's an option. I actually don't know if it's open yet. Well, I'll it's, be there in uh, in two weeks. I know. You're going to be here. You're I've heard very the soon. National is a really nice hotel. I've heard that that's really nice. That guy, that, that opened after I, after I moved out of town. I've heard the National is really nice. The, the bar downstairs looks really nice. Yeah. Lot, See, a lot of new lot, hotels. Just I believe that there the were two. I mean, if you've if you've read Boomtown by Sam Anderson, yeah, who is an infuriatingly fantastic writer. Like as no. as a writer, isn't doesn't it make you angry? It's awful because he just parachutes in. Like he he just comes in here from Portland, right? Is where he's from, um, and just writes. Like that, that book has more insight into the thunder than just about anybody's written, you know, just about anything that anybody's ever done. And he just like dropped in here and started to stay here and did that. And like during that process wrote, I was, I recall you probably do too. I was so mad about that Westbrook story he had in the New York times magazine that had so many great details that calendar, remember that calendar detail of like, there was a calendar in somebody's office, maybe Matt Tumbleson's office. I can't remember. And Russ liked it. It was some kind, I forget what it even was, but he really liked it and he wanted it. And this is all in Sam's story. And they said, we can get you one. And he was like, no, no, I want this one. Give it to me and make another one for you, which I think they did. Yeah. And there was the one with the, the kid tying his, his shoelaces that he noticed on the book <laughs> yeah. bus Yeah, where he really honed in. And it was amazing because Sam got like seven minutes with Russ for that yeah. story. And did, I don't think Russ really told him much of anything, but his observational skills are unbelievable. Being able to deduce kind of Russ's obsessive uh, neatness and his obsessive 
organization and finding all of these ways to show it was amazing. Anyway, Sam wrote in Boomtown, which is really both about Oklahoma's state history and a lot about the thunder. You know, he writes in that book about the way that the the town was kind of torn down. And I think it was the sixties and early seventies when oil was booming and they had a plan to kind of build it up and kind of make it the, the Denver of the Southwest. And then when oil, oil got bad and the money wasn't necessarily there, they kind of just had nothing going downtown. So, right. Yeah. The thunder coming there. And also we should say the Hornets coming there in 2005 for a little bit too, which really laid the groundwork to show the NBA. Okay. You can actually have an NBA team here like this. This can work. I think if the Hornets hadn't come there after Katrina, I don't know if we ever see a team in Oklahoma city. I don't know if the thunder ever exists. Uh, but I think, I think that team being there really spurred so much about what's happening throughout the city. I mean, you say downtown, but, but throughout the city, yeah. that Oklahoma city has been built up way more. There's a much higher population of young people and young professionals right now than there was 15 years ago. Used to be very, very few young professionals in Oklahoma city. That's why you see this uprising of apartment complexes and places the young people live. It's, um, it's definitely changed things. And, and I have, I'm not smart enough to know how not having that team there once it's already been there, how that would affect things if positive momentum is, is going and it would just continue to go. Uh, but it's, it's a question worth pondering on. Do you remember, um, this is the next step for Oklahoma city. This is my next challenge to the city because they've got this arena is coming. I think some stuff will spring up around it. I think there'll be some kind of entertainment district, like a lot of newer arenas have. And the real challenge now for Oklahoma city, like go downtown and just walk around, just walk around downtown because you, you remember, I'm sure you remember you and I had this little side interview with Alex Abrinas after it was either an early practice or maybe even the blue white scrimmage they used to do. Um, and we were just talking, it was like, he was brand new to the city. He had just gotten there and we were asking him about, you know, just his impressions of living there. And the thing he said was, there's never anybody on the street. It's like, I just walk around downtown and the sidewalks are totally empty. Alex Abrinas did not like Oklahoma city. He did not. <laughs> he was, <laughs> I liked Oklahoma city. I loved my time there. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I, Alex Abrinas, uh, is from Mallorca, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And had very played different. In, yeah. Played big in, culture I don't remember shock. if he played in Argentina. He played in a big, he played in a big city as well. Right. He was not thrilled. He was not no, thrilled. No. There. And, and yes, I mean, that was, that was definitely a, a, that's a thing that a lot of people mentioned. And I, I, you know, being a New Yorker had a, had a similar sort of experience where it's like, not a lot of people walking around. Yeah. So and now I, I like, will. I, I too, to be clear, I love it here. I've chosen to live here again. I really like living here. I really, I have a lot of really good friends here. But like Eric Horn once wrote a story about how Carmelo Anthony would just walk around the street. That's like what he would do at night when he was bored. He would just go walk around and he could do that because like there weren't people out there to like swarm him, you know, because there's like right. nobody walks around downtown. So just walk around downtown. That's all I'm asking for Oklahoma Cityans. It's like, let's all walk around downtown. I do it all the time. I love to go downtown and just walk. I, I mean, I it's would like, do it all the time, too. I lived in Midtown when I lived there. It's like, yeah, me too. I lived and in Midtown. And I would walk. I would just walk 
downtown because I love going for walks. I love being in a walking city. I, I love getting like my 15,000 steps every day. Yeah. yeah. I, that, that, that is literally what I do. Like I, I shoot for 15,000 every day and I just go for walks. I listen to podcasts. I listen to music and make my phone calls, whatever. And I would, I would walk, I would walk downtown. I would walk by kitchen three, two, four, go down into Bricktown, you know, circle around mantles and come back up. And I, and I have my, my nice walk and it's, it's normally nice weather too. You know, at least yeah. it's, it's, it's walkable weather, especially in the winter. I mean, the summer, it's so hot, but that's, you get, you, that's my you get challenge to you, Oklahoma city. Go walk around, go, go walk downtown. Um, we mentioned, you know, you funny, you mentioned the Hornets and I think I've said this before that I think Chris Paul, if you get down, if you start talking about the list of the most important basketball players in the history of Oklahoma city, I mean, Katie and Russ are, are ahead of the pack. And I think there'd be some argument for Nick Collison. Chris Paul is on that list just because of the, not only the, the, the initial run with the Hornets, but then coming back and kind of bridging the gap between these two teams. And this is all just a transition to talk about the guy who's ultimately going to be on that list. I don't know where he is right now, but Shea Gildas Alexander will eventually be one of those people who we'll talk about as one of the most important players in the history of the franchise, assuming that, you know, he doesn't wake up in a demand a trade tomorrow, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, we're going to be talking about him a lot. In the, We're going to frame him in that way um, and what he means to the franchise long term. I think if you set, um, you know, I, this, I was talking to somebody about this the other day who works with the team. And I was saying, you know, like if you set an over under on the number of players on this team who will have this new arena as their home arena. The smart money is on a line like 2.5 probably because like players just don't stay for six years. And so who knows if um, Shea Gildas-Alexander will be here when that arena opens. But he is a guy who means a whole lot to the franchise right now and is going to moving forward. And Fred, I wanted to talk a little bit about you were on the low post last week talking about midseason awards candidates. Um, a lot of people did that last or not midseason quarter season awards candidates because we got to the 25 percent mark roughly of the schedule last week. Um, and I want to talk about Shea, and I want to talk about MVP a little bit. I, I don't think he's first right now. I don't think any any kind of straw poll would put him first. But the more he plays, the more they win, and the more his numbers do the things that they're doing. I, like it's you can't have a legitimate conversation. I don't think about the award without talking about him. Definitely not. I mean, he's a hundred percent in the conversation to be on the ballot. No question. I, I, I mean, you mentioned I went on with, with Zach Lowe last week, and when I was prepping for that podcast, I'm going through MVP candidates. By the way, Kemrich Williams is 100% going to be on the Thunder in 2029. But as I'm <laughs> probably just going to be playing, you know, 22 minutes a game and taking the charge, you know, once once a half, and it'll be exactly the same. He's still going to be there. He's actually going to be the mayor at that point. He's going to defeat. He's going to defeat Holt at some point. He's he's <laughs> going to be player, first player mayor. mayor. <laughs> player. Yeah, <laughs> first player mayor. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Yeah, it'll 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 <laughs> from player to mayor. I mean that that's the perfect. <laughs> it's the perfect headline. It's uh, going to be a great book by Royce Young. <laughs> from, from player to mayor, Royce is going to write it from his new home in Vegas. <laughs> It's gonna be Maybe beautiful. Vegas. Exactly. So so yeah, so I go I'm prepping for Zach's pod and part of the reason that MVP is so difficult this year is because we're only twenty games in. And yeah. normally as you go through the season, there's just some amount of attrition. 
someone goes through a really long slump that kind of takes him out of it. Someone's team craters, which takes another guy out of it. Somebody gets hurt, and that takes that guy out of it. But as of now, I listed nine guys who I was like, if you put any of these nine on your MVP ballot today, and Shea was one of them, if you put any of these guys on your MVP ballot today, I'm like, of course. It's not even like, yeah, okay, I'll give it to you. It's like, I feel terrible leaving four of those people off of my ballot. And when I did my ballots with Zach, I actually did not have Shea in my top five. And going into it, I thought I was going to. I felt awful not having Shea on there. He could easily climb back in there. He's having an unbelievable season. The efficiency numbers are incredible for somebody averaging 30 a game. And obviously, he's one one of the main forces carrying one of the best teams in the league, which helps a ton. It's just a really difficult race with Jokic having an incredible season, although he has certainly cooled off these last couple of weeks. Uh, His efficiency has been very un-Jokic-like the last couple of weeks, and he hasn't had Jamal Murray, but he's Nicole Jokic, so he's going to be in there. Kevin Durant is having an obscene season. Uh, You know, you need to play 65 games this year in order to just be eligible. You're not allowed to be on the ballot if you play fewer than 65 games. It's a new rule this year. We'll see if KD gets to 65. That's obviously always in question these days. But right now, he's played enough, and the dude's playing out of his mind, shooting like 50% from three. Embiid is having another incredible season and has really improved as a passer. Giannis is looking like Giannis. LeBron is... LeBron has been obscene. It's it's impossible. It's it's impossible that he's this good. It's not... Like, I don't... I'm not sure I believe it. Like, I'm not sure that this is the same person. Like, there's a cloning thing or... I don't know. it, it It is insane. I mean, one of the things... It's just totally and completely insane. One of the things that we talk about with Le- that we talked about with LeBron at the end of last year was like he looks like he lost a step a little bit. He yeah. looks like he doesn't have quite as much lift come playoff time in this in this conference finals. He's not really finishing around the rim the same way. And I remember a couple of years ago when LeBron was in the MVP conversation before he got hurt. And a lot of people thought he was leading the MVP conversation at different points. And a lot of the conversation around LeBron being in the MVP conversation that year was, my goodness, he's 37 and look at what he's doing. The fact that he's doing this at 37 is amazing. And I don't disagree with that sentiment at all, but there's not a, you don't get graded on a curve for your age for MVP. So I always hated that. I was like, well, then why don't we just give the MVP to Adonis Haslam? Because the fact that this dude is still in the league and hasn't yeah. played in eight years and is 57 years old and his grandkids are going off to college and he <laughs> right. was actually around when that courtyard in downtown Oklahoma City was built. <laughs> He's the first guest. That's He's remarkable. Hey. He's got Marriott points from the first night. You want to talk about hotels in Oklahoma City? Adonis Haslam has not just the greatest quote about hotels in Oklahoma City ever. He might have the greatest quote in NBA history, and it just happens to be about the Skirvin in downtown OKC. Oh, I bet you the Skirvin was around. 
That's got to be one. I, I asked somebody yesterday. That's got to be one of the two, right? And I think I think that it was. Yeah, it's got to be the Skirvin. I bet you it's the Skirvin and the Colcord. Because those ghosts were alive at some point. You know, like they were living people, and they like they got surely they predate the thunder, right? Could 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 that that hotel has been around for a very long time? That's a very good point. Um, but so back to LeBron, the season that LeBron is having. <laughs> well, I did want to say, what was the quote that you not oh, had? Yeah, sorry, I I have the worst ADHD of all time. Yeah, I would find the quote, but the Miami Herald right now has a. Uh, has a paywall, which, and I don't subscribe to the Miami Herald. They didn't used to. The quote was, it was a story about the Skirvin being a haunted hotel and a lot of Heat players being afraid to stay there. And some funny quotes from Heat players. And the story ends, it was Manny Navarro. The story ends with Navarro saying, but there's one Heat player who does not care. And you think that it's going to be because Haslam is like, no, it's ridiculous that people think that there are actual ghosts here. But instead, what he says is, I ain't scared of no ghost. A ghost (laughs) will have a hell of a time if he sees me. And then just goes on to talk about how he'll beat the crap out of a ghost (laughs) if it comes into his room. And it is just wonderful. If you want to pay for the subscription to the Miami Herald, it's honestly worth it for just that quote. That's uh, back DeMarcus, to Cousins, DeMarcus Cousins once told me that his washcloth would move around the room. Like he would put it in the sink and then he would wake up and it would be on the towel rack or, or vice versa or whatever. Like the, that he was convinced that ghosts were moving his uh, dish, his washcloth. Someone someone was pulling a hilarious prank on Demarcus Cousins. I, it's probably true. That's probably yeah. true. Or like it's like that joke where the where the the, the video on uh, Instagram where the husband tells his wife, you know, just put your pizza boxes on this coffee table and tomorrow it'll all be gone. Or you just throw your laundry on the counter and tomorrow it magically gets folded. It's probably like like housekeeping came in and did that, and he was thinking um, that it wasn't. But to your point about LeBron, this I, I agree with you about the yes. age. This is curve. not age it's slanted like, anymore. This right, is just. This we is just the vote. fact that this dude is shooting 62% on twos, which is a career high, and 41% on threes, which is tied for a career high. And he's averaging 25, 8, and 7. I actually think his defense has been better than it was last year. It's been pretty good. The Lakers are like 21 points per 100 possessions better when he's on the floor. The MVP race is obscene. You still have Jason Tatum averaging an efficient 30. You have Luka averaging having arguably the best season of his career, certainly right up there, 31, eight and eight on fantastic shooting. Like it is. And then Tyrese Halliburton, it it is unbelievably difficult. Uh, And, and man, I, it's going to have to whittle down some way, but let's, let's, let's talk about your guy. Let's, let's, let's talk about Shea because he certainly could be in that top five. And by the way, there's a couple of guys there. Like you could get through a really good long list, and like, you know, like I'm not saying De'Aaron Fox should be on anybody's list of five, but like De'Aaron Fox is awesome. He's having a great year. You know, like there's a million guys. I think Andrew Schleck said to me the other day, I think on our podcast, and if not, I'll just out him um, and say that he that he said it privately. That if the Thunder were to win at this rate for the rest of the season, if they kept maintain this winning percentage, he thinks Shea would win it. I don't think that's necessarily true just because of what you just said. There's so many 
really strong candidates. But if he is on one of the best teams in the league, and if he's having the efficiency that he's having, um, if that maintains, which is going to be hard to do, the level he's at right now is going to be super hard to maintain over the course of 80, however many games he ends up playing. Um, but if he does all that, plus I think, you know, we talk about you don't, you don't give LeBron the advantage for having, you know, being older. You don't grade on a curve. You wouldn't give Kenrich Williams the 2030 MVP just because he's also mayor. You know, like that's not going to be a reason that you, that you, <laughs> that your vote goes that way. But like, I do think that there are th- like defense is a thing. <laughs> defense, yeah, you're like he's got to go to city council meetings, and he's out here guarding Bronny James Jr. You know, like he's. Um, but I, I think you would look at. I think there are things that people use as kind of tiebreakers, and the the leap he's made defensively, I think, is really significant. I think it's a thing people will talk about more. It's a thing we're certainly talking about here. I think you'll see it written and talked about quite a bit from coming out of here, and it'll become a little bit more of a national story. His steals are crazy it's ridiculous i think he's got 10 games this year with three steals um and a nu- i can't remember the number with five um but he's also just he's just a more complete defender he's worked on it quite a lot he's you know mark dagnall said they because they have lou dort if you put shea on the best perimeter defender and you let lou dort kind of roam and do some of the things shea is doing they could both do those things but neither one would be as good as the other so i think you know shea is a much better on ball guy than he used to be but he doesn't have to be this elite on ball guy and so it does allow him to he gets steals in all kinds of different ways the other night he's playing post defense on andrew wiggins and he jumps a post entry and i just don't think that's a play he makes two years ago he's just he's studied a lot he's a lot smarter defensive player he picks his spots a lot more um, he gets some, he's like a magnet for the ball. Sometimes some of the steals are like, how in the world did he, you know, like how did that end up in his hands? Um, but I do think he's becoming, you know, I don't know that he's got a chance to make an all defense team. Like I, it's just the, the, the field there is so crowded, but among the also, MVP candidates. Also it's, it's positionless now too. Right. It's right. going to make things a lot harder for guards. That's true. Yeah. Cause you're going to be able to say like, so many of these big guys can make it. You know, you're going to be able to. You, you don't have to make a choice between Anthony Davis and and uh, uh, I mean, Rudy Gobert and Anthony Davis probably aren't in the same plane this year. But like, whatever the case might be, if you're making that last spot decision, you don't have to choose between two big guys. Right. Um, but he's he's had a great year in that regard, and then like that's on top of the offense stuff. And among the guys who are the elite MVP candidates, he's become among the better defenders which i think is a real step for him and like i think will be meaningful when people vote i think that's totally true and i'll add to your point about steals and he leads the league in steals by like yeah last i checked a couple days ago he had led the league in steals by like almost a full steal yeah because he's averaging right around three 2.9 2.8 something like that but what i think has been really good about his defense and Thunder fans are familiar with the other side of this, which is a point guard who gets a lot of steals, but who can do it to the detriment of his own team. Yeah. And obviously, I'm talking about Earl Watson. <laughs> and <laughs> he doesn't Classic really mystery. gamble. And the ability to get steals without gambling, without jumping into a passing lane, missing, and then giving up an open lane to the basket for somebody to cut or drive to or anything like that, or leaving your team in bad rebounding position or anything like that, making putting your team into rotation, that's extremely detrimental. And if you do that all the time, then it's not worth getting two steals a game. It's just not. 
because you're hurting your team on way more than two possessions a game, and it doesn't even out. What he's done really well this year is he's picked his spots really well. I also don't discount the fact, and I don't know, you, you'd have to tell me if, if people have asked, asked you know, you know, Mark this, or if people have asked Shay or Chet, he was playing with the worst rim protection in the NBA pretty easily for a long time. And when that's the case, you have to be more solid defensively. You talk about him jumping into an entry pass lane with Andrew Wiggins there. You can't do that if you don't have somebody to protect the rim behind you. They are going that's to right. score. If you miss that steal and he can just turn and score and it's a given right. score. Right. Like, like, like big Jalen Williams was their greatest line of defense in like years. And it was just because he took charges, you know, like if Isaiah Roby is back there, you have to be solid. You can't take that chance because if Mike Muscala is there, they're going to have a very good chance at getting a really easy layup. And that makes things even worse. But Chet is really good off the bat. And when he has Chet out there, it probably makes him feel a lot more confident to be able to pick those spots because it's not as big of a risk. If he does mess up, now you got somebody going into Chet who's a legitimately good rim protector off the bat, a good team defender. He's a lot stronger than I think a lot of people thought he was going to be. He doesn't get muscled on drives to the rim in the way that a lot of people thought he was going to be. Like he's not a good defender for a rookie and he's not just some you know, high volume shot blocker who leaves his team in bad positions. Like he is a good defender right off the bat and a legitimate rim protector and the best defensive center that they've had since Steven Adams. And that is a big difference for how the guys in the perimeter can operate. Yeah, that's definitely true. It, look, if, if Shea has a legitimate MVP candidacy, if he's on ballots, if he's top five, top four, top three, whatever, Chet will be a huge piece of it because that part is definitely true that he's he's changed some of the he's changed a lot defensively, including some stuff for Shea. But then offensively, he's unlocked their team and allowed Shea, I think, to do some things that, you know, I talked I was talking to Mark Dagnall about this yesterday. Shea did a thing for a while where like every time he went away, he just came back as almost this completely like he would take these huge leaps as a player. He did it between his rookie year with the Clippers and his first year in OKC. He did it in the COVID break. <clears throat> where he he put on a lot of weight, came back a much stronger guy. Um, he did it the season after that when he became a really high-level scorer. He did it again kind of before last season where he made this jump to all NBA-type player. And you reach a point in your career, he's 25 now, there's a lot of room to grow, but the big leaps are almost over. It's hard to make those continually. You just can't, you know, like if he made another leap like the one he made two years ago, he'd be one of the best players in the history of the game. You know, and I'm not, I'm not sure that that's his ceiling. Maybe it is. He, he, he wants to be, but he, he's, he's doing some small stuff now at both ends. And, and offensively, one of the things is he's making quicker reads and quicker decisions and getting off the ball a little faster in different situations. And part of the reason you can do that is that the floor is spaced so differently because of Chet. It creates a lob threat. You talk about rim protection. They also had zero lob threats. They had like six or eight lob dunks last year. And so Chet creates this vertical space that he hasn't played with. Chet has opened, as great as he is, and, and this is on Shea and his work ethic and how much he gets better, 
But Chet has really changed the game for him. It's changed the floor for him a lot. No question. And, and you look at, like, you look through the Thunder's most successful lineups, and there's a common string there. It's Shea with an extra shooter. You know, yeah. Giddy is not a spacer. Dort is not a spacer. But it's Shea with an extra shooter. And when there is an extra shooter there, all of a sudden, they go to full throttle. Like, their, their starting lineup is not flawless. It's really talented. And I think it's better than the numbers show right now. But their starters are getting outscored. And that's because the offense is not good enough. Yeah. Once a shooter enters the mix for either Giddy or Dort, they go through the roof. The Isaiah uh, Joe numbers are insane. Some of the well, some of the lineups with Isaiah Joe, it's crazy. The Isaiah Joe numbers are always insane. Yeah. He's been the plus <laughs> minus king for like three yeah. years. And finally he's getting some love. I was so angry with myself because I went on low post and I had we talked six man. I had Isaiah Joe on my list. I was ready to say Isaiah Joe, and I literally just skipped over him when I was reading <laughs> yeah. it off, and I forgot to mention Isaiah Joe. And I was so angry because I felt like Isaiah Joe was like such a good one. He's that's been a good awesome. Niche. Like, yeah, that's a good like. You're really watching basketball if you're bringing up Isaiah Joe as a sixth man of the year candidate. He's been awesome, and the on-offs for him are amazing. And by the way, the on-offs are a great argument for Shea for MVP. The Thunder yeah. are like 17 points per 100 possessions better when he's on the floor, according to cleaning the glass. And it's coming on both sides. Their offense is like 9 or 10 points per 100 better when he's on the floor. And their defense is like 7 points per 100 better when he's on the floor. It's really coming on both sides. Uh, he, he, he has a great argument to be on that ballot. I I think it's hard to put him first right now, but quite honestly, it's hard to put it's hard to put anybody first. Like yeah. Jokic is kind of struggling. Embiid has been fantastic this year. His passing is way better, but his efficiency is actually down. Um, you know, Giannis is maybe maybe it's just Giannis. I mean, maybe Tatum is, you know, the guy with the you know the best on the the best player on the best team in the East, but they're not even the best team in the league right now because it's te technically yeah. Minnesota. And I just don't think he's having as good of a season as the other guys. It, it is really difficult. You know, Halliburton's not as good defensively as Shea, uh, and and offensively they're kind of different sorts of players. I probably put them about even in terms in terms of their offense and how they get their offense, even though they they operate differently. It's just really tough it is really yeah. really tough but someone's going to separate himself because someone always sure. does and there will and be you're right attrition that, yeah and you're right that's part of what's going to happen is somebody's part of what one of these guys is going to do is just continue to play this way as other guys fall off for any number of reasons and the injury thing is is going to be one of them like we don't know which one of these guys is going to get hurt but the odds that you have a nine-man list the odds that none of those guys misses 10 games with an injury is pretty slim i mean that's just like that's the nba there's also like these are incredible players someone's gonna have a month where he averages like 40 you know like yeah. remember james yes. harden in 2018 yeah where it was yeah. like is harden finally gonna win is he gonna do it he's having another great year and then come january he literally averaged 40 for the entire month 
Yeah. And he scored yeah. 40 points in like like a million consecutive games. I think it was a million. In like a million yeah. consecutive games. And at that point, everyone was like, okay, it's it's totally hardened now. Like, yeah. dude's well, averaging like, 36. You think about Russ, and that's the other thing that's going to happen that can happen here. Like Russ was averaging a triple double the whole season, and yet all those straw polls he was never leading. It was always Harden. And then the last few weeks of the season, he just went ballistic in crunch time. He just had these crazy games where he just kept winning the game, and he has the moment in Denver, and that's the game where he breaks the triple double record and he makes a three pointer that knocks the Nuggets out of the playoffs and secures the Thunder's playoff spot. It just like. That that stretch of games is really what won it for him. I remember after that Denver game, all the players in the league being on Twitter saying, "Just hand, just give it to him now." Like he he's the guy, and like that's also also sets up. You know, there's also the possibility that that happens for one of these guys that um, they're in a playoff hunt. They're trying to get into position for seating, and one of those guys just becomes the guy who has three or four of those MVP moments, and that changes the voters' minds. You know, my all time favorite Russ stat. It's from that season. So clutch time is defined as a game that's within five points with five or fewer minutes to go. Do you know how many points per 36 minutes oh. Russell Westbrook averaged during clutch time that season? That was his MVP season. I used to know this. I, I can't remember the number. It was, like four, was it in the 40s? Give me a guess. Give me a real guess. 44. It was something crazy, I think. You think 44 would be crazy? 44 points yeah, per I mean, 36 minutes? Sure. It's, yeah. What is it? It's not even close to that. He averaged <laughs> 60 points for 36 yeah, minutes. It's, it's, and I'm not rounding, so by the way. He didn't average 60.2. 60. He didn't average 59.7. He averaged 60.0 points per 36 minutes during clutch time that season. It is by far the all-time record it's it's not even close it's by far the all-time record amongst like people who actually played in clutch time and by the way his efficiency numbers in clutch time were higher than they were the rest of the game it's not because he was just shooting every even though he was shooting every time it's not just of because course. he was shooting every time his effective field goal percentage and his true shooting percentage were higher in clutch time that year then they were not in clutch time. That 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 to me was why I felt like Russ was the MVP that year, because putting up numbers like that when your team needs it the most yeah. on a forty-seven win team, like you look at that team's net rating, and the net rating says they should have won like forty-two games, not forty-seven. Yeah, and it's right. because Russ just did the crap that he did, like in Denver. You know, and that, that Denver game in April that season was one of the most incredible individual performances I've ever seen live, maybe number one. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was 60 points per 36 minutes is hilarious. It's hilarious I mean, that it's, you were yeah, like something crazy like and number. incomprehensible, like 44. <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah. And I was like, no, yeah. you're off by like Reggie Miller's career average. That reminds me of the year that I, um, the year he, that year when we did our preseason podcast, Eric Horn and I, um, we were supposed to make a bold prediction, like make a crazy prediction for the year. And I said, I, th I think my prediction was that Russ would get 25 triple doubles. And Eric was like, that's absurd. Like, that's, a, that's too high. <laughs> right. He had 18 the year before. Yeah, and, right, and people, right. and, and people were saying, oh, is he going to, 
Is it? Could he average a triple? There, there was some talk leading into that year. Oh, I read a story gone. about it. I, I called, I called right. Oscar Robertson and asked him. And I know what. I'll never forget. Oscar Robertson was like, "I can't believe nobody's done it yet." Of course he can. It's you know, like Oscar Robertson was like, "It's so easy. Why don't they just do it?" You know. You, you know, it's such a funny parallel. Oscar Robertson and Russ, and we've both spoken to Oscar multiple times. Like I've, mm-hmm. and I, I, I like dealing with Oscar. He's, he's. He always gives me time. Always. Very blunt. He he's so blunt. But he he what I was gonna say is that he and Russ from a personality standpoint kind of remind me of each other. Like yeah, I I can see that. I totally see how similar they are. They're both like very blunt, very intense. They're just very similar personality types. I always thought it was funny. And I think that contributes because Oscar loves russ he loves russ i could also see russ when he's oscar's age kind of being a get off my lawn guy and and oscar robertson is totally a get off my lawn guy and 100 percent. yes and i could see russ easily turning into a get off my lawn guy when he's like in his in his elder years uh but oscar oscar loves russ loves russ like i he talks about him like he's his favorite player I can't remember if he's explicitly yeah. said that he's his favorite, but he loves Russ because Russ is old school. You know, he's old school yeah. intense. Yep. And, and Oscar he, and loves he kind that. of brought Oscar. He also kind of brought Oscar back into the forefront for a year, which I know Oscar uh, liked and appreciated. Like that was a thing that that meant something. To oh, him. for sure. Well, I've had on the record conversations with Oscar about how he feels like players today don't really know where things come from and how he doesn't think he gets enough credit for his lawsuit in the seventies that kind of was was the precursor to the precursor of free agency and 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 all of that. And so yeah, I mean I think he definitely appreciates it when a when a big time player is appreciative and respectful and and kind of as um as as open to to bringing him into the forefront as Russ was with him throughout that whole saga. Now, Fred, it's kind of a weird note to end on, but we're out of time. We're going to have to do this again because I can just talk basketball and hotels and uh, weird numbers and all that kind of stuff with you forever. Uh, but we got to wrap up today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. We're going to have to uh, we'll meet up again. Maybe we'll do a podcast together here or somewhere else uh, when you're in town uh, coming up soon. And uh, maybe we'll hit up Republic and uh, maybe we'll, uh, I don't know. I'll come see you at the, not at the courtyard, but, uh, we definitely appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. Um, if you like what you heard, please give us a like, give us a subscribe, uh, follow us on YouTube at Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week. We'll talk to you then.